So if you've got your Bibles, we are uh, going to be continuing in John, in our series in John. Turn to John chapter 3. A, uh, a familiar passage, um, just a little bit of context here. Jesus um, is just starting out His ministry. Uh, the, the events that we talked about last week of of entering into the temple and seeing all of the uh, the abuses that were going on, the way that that people were being taken advantage of, the 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 monetizing of of uh, the religious life of the Jewish people, um, boiled up this righteous anger zeal that Christ had for his father's house and and came and 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 established again the authority of God in that place uh, of what is what is right and appropriate and and we read there at the end of of uh chapter uh chapter 2 um it says that uh now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing um, the one sign that we had talked about a couple of weeks ago was the transformation of the water into wine uh, but john is indicating that there were many other signs that jesus was now performing uh, in the sight of the people and and there was fruit that was being produced out of those signs that he was doing, the words that he was saying, and that it was having an impact on people's lives and people were believing in him. And uh, with that background, we, have, uh, we come to um, chapter 3 and, and here we read about Nicodemus' visit with Jesus. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Then Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, 
we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except He who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. But people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. This is not the conversation that Nicodemus was planning on having. Um, I don't know what his intentions were. were. I, don't, I don't know if he was sent as um, a representative of the Pharisees or the Sanhedrin, the, the rulers, the, the, the high court of, of Palestine, of Judea. Or maybe he was just coming on his own. Maybe he had uh, heard about or seen the signs that Jesus had been doing. Had seen the impact of that and seen those that had, uh, had come to believe in Jesus. And, and he wanted to come and, and see for himself. Investigate these things for himself. Understand who this was. Uh, perhaps even, you know, the way that he starts off with, with such respectful words of calling Jesus rabbi and, and acknowledging that you must be from God because the things that you are doing could only be done by God. And perhaps part of that was to invite Jesus to come and be a part of the, the Pharisaical community that he could then uh, join them and, and uh, continue to work towards their ideas of what the kingdom of God would look like. I don't know what his expectations were of coming into this conversation, but I do know this was not what he was expecting. Jesus' first words to him had nothing to do with what Nicodemus had opened up the conversation about. To acknowledge that that Jesus that that Jesus was a teacher from God, and yet right away 
Jesus begins to systematically dismantle all of the foundation that Nicodemus's life was built on. As a Jewish man, it was his expectation that he would be a part of the kingdom of God, that he would see the kingdom of God because he was born into a Jewish family as a son of Abraham. More than that, he was a Pharisee. He was a, a guardian of the law. It was, it was, he had spent his life studying Scripture, studying the words of God, modeling his life, maintaining strict regulations and rules that all affirmed what he understood to be God's expectations of the people of of Israel. And even beyond that, he was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was the one that was there enforcing the law, helping the, the, the whole of the nation to be able to, to maintain their, their adherence to the things that God had told them. Through all of the traditions of, of, the, of the scribes and the, the, uh, the Jewish people, that, that they had set up these ways that would maintain a righteous relationship of the people with God. And that was part of his role and responsibility. So if, if anybody could expect to see the kingdom of God, surely Nicodemus would have been one. But Jesus gave him a very different criteria of, of what, it, what it meant to see the kingdom of God, of how a person comes to the place of, of being welcomed into the kingdom of God. He says, you must be born again. One of the things that I found just very interesting in this whole passage is, is there are a number of uh, plays on words that John uses in this passage. And this term that we uh, typically have translated born again, uh, the, Greek, uh, the Greek phrase that is being used here can be translated in two very different ways could be said it's absolutely entirely appropriate to say you must be born again but by using the exact same words you could also say you must be born from above i i almost think that jesus intended that this should be understood that you must be born from above because the further explanation that he gives, he, he talks about not physical birth, but a spiritual transformation. Born again certainly does encapsulate that as well, but, uh, 
But I think Jesus intended to, be, to make the statement, you must be born from above. But Nicodemus totally missed that spiritual component. Missed it. Maybe he didn't miss it. Maybe he didn't want to see it. He, he didn't want to, to think that somehow his involvement in the kingdom of God was somehow outside of the realm of his ability to be able to control. And so he went with the very physical explanation, born again, and, and put that in a, uh, a frame of going, how is this possible? That a man would old age would be able to uh, to once again be born in from his mother's womb that just obviously doesn't make sense and he obviously wasn't getting what jesus said uh, jesus didn't leave him there these statements again and again truly truly these are are powerful statements of of god that we need to whenever jesus in john says Verily, verily, truly, truly, however the translators translate it, you need to slow down and look at these very closely. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What, what, is, what does he mean by born of water, born of the Spirit? There's been different attempts to try and explain and understand what it was that Jesus meant. Uh, there certainly have been those, and, and I have to admit that, that I, for one, have, have often seen that as uh, born of water t- to reflect a, a physical birth, um, that, that it is a, a euphemism for, uh, for being uh, uh, born in the flesh, being born, born as, a, as a human being. Um, there are others that look at that and, and see that Jesus is talking about baptism. Uh, that being born of water is to be uh, go through that process of immersion. And, and, and what fits really well with this whole context for that is, is to understand John the Baptist's baptism. What he was offering to the people of Judah. It was a baptism of repentance. As we understand baptism and, and, and practice baptism in, in the New Testament church, um, our baptism is, is not so much a, an act of repentance as it is a sign of what God has already done within our hearts. And it's a, an outward expression of something that is already an inward reality. Uh, but when John did that, when John was baptizing, people would go out, they would listen to him preach. He would preach these convicting messages, pointing out the sin that was in people's lives, the way that they had missed God's ideal of the law. And he would call them to repent. Come and be washed of your sins. It's interesting that we read in Luke that the Pharisees refused to be baptized by John. They didn't feel that there was reason for them to repent. 
After all, they were the guardians of the law. They were the ones uh, that, that through their whole lives had been meticulous in the way that they would follow all of the, the laws that were written um, there in the Jewish traditions. Uh, and, and so they, there wasn't a feeling of a need of repentance, and so they, they didn't follow. And so it, 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 you can understand, and it's, it, it, it could be entirely appropriate um, this understanding of of Jesus saying you must be born of water, that you must go through that baptism of repentance, through that process of of recognizing the sinfulness within our own lives in order to be able to see the kingdom of heaven. Um, but I, I was I was reading somebody else's a, a commentator on on this particular passage. And uh, this guy had a, a, even a different understanding of what Jesus was trying to say here about the, the idea of being born of water and the Spirit. And he points to a passage in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 44. Why don't you just turn with me if you've got that. You can still keep your finger. We'll go back to John here shortly. But... Uh, this passage, Isaiah chapter 44, we haven't quite got there yet in our Bible study. Uh, we're close. We're, we're in uh, Isaiah chapter 42, I think, is where we're at right now. So we're almost there. But there is this, uh, this part of, of Isaiah's promise at, at verse, uh, chapter 40 in Isaiah. We made the switch where where so much of the of Isaiah's time was talking about prophecy about the discipline uh, the coming discipline of God and his wrath and all of that and and at verse four, uh, chapter 40 suddenly we make this switch to start talking about the servant of the Lord and everything starts pointing to the suffering servant uh, but in chapter 44 verses 3 and 4 there is a, an interesting statement that uh, that Isaiah is is uh, proclaiming as, as it was revealed to him from God. Um, this is speaking about God's chosen, um, His chosen servant. And verse 3, 3 to 4 says, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground, and I will pour my Spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by, flower, by flowing streams. Uh, the way that, that Isaiah combines both the idea of pouring out water and pouring out the Spirit um, has led this one commentator to say that, that, that he was actually alluding to this particular passage when he was saying to Nicodemus, you must be born of water and the Spirit. What this passage is telling us is that God is promising a transformation in the life of Israel. That the, the years of, of sin and, and rebellion against Him have, have killed all life in the land. And God has poured out His wrath upon them. 
which has further decimated all that is part of that land. And there is this, this desertness, this distance from God. But his promise is, is that one day there will be a restoration. That I will pour my water out on the land. I will pour my spirit out on the land. And there will be life. When Jesus says to Nicodemus that you must be born of water and the Spirit, I think part of what he's saying is you must allow God to come and do a transformation in your life. All that is dead, all of that tradition and, and, and legalism that has so bound you in life, I want to come and I want to set you free and I want to give you a taste of real life. Real freedom. And that if you are going to see the kingdom of God, if you are going to be able to enter into the kingdom of God, it's not something that you are going to do. Something that I will do in you. I will birth life in you. My Spirit will come and make you new and transform you from the inside out. Remember the miracle of the water turning into wine, that, that God's transformation, the, the work that Jesus had come to do was not just a, a cosmetic transformation. It was not just painting on the outside of the jars, but it was an essential change from one substance into another substance. That Christ come to transform us from our, our, our dead and broken selves into, uh, into a child who is alive and full of freedom and joy and peace and contentment. And that's what Jesus is saying to, uh, to Nicodemus here. Unless God comes in, and changes and brings life into your heart through His Spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's backed up by His further explanation that says that which is flesh is flesh, but that which is of the Spirit is Spirit. If you are depending on your fleshly connection to Abraham it's not enough if you are depending if your life is built on the foundation of your ability to be able to stand up and and live according to a certain set of laws that's death there's no life there's no freedom that is there your only opportunity to enter in the kingdom of heaven is for God to come through His Spirit and transform your life. Then He goes on to say, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus has just taken away Nicodemus' ability to be able to control his participation in the kingdom of heaven. This is a work of God. 
You don't know when it's going to happen. You don't know how it's going to come about. You don't know where it's coming from. But God is going to come into your life and change who you are from the inside out. So it's completely understandable that Nicodemus says, how can this be? All of the things that I've trusted in, all of the things that I've counted on, and you're ripping them away. Jesus has a, a very pointed criticism of Nicodemus at this point. He says, you're, you're a teacher of Israel and yet you don't know this. He's saying, this is nothing new. The message that He is bringing that we need to be born again, that we need God to come and do a transforming work in our heart, that our salvation, our entrance into the kingdom of heaven has nothing to do with with our physical birthright or our ability to be able to live up to any particular ritual or tradition or, or, or moral standard. All of the Old Testament, all of the Hebrew Bible has been saying this all along. The sacrifices, the temple worship, all of the feasts and and everything else, all of them were set up and were established in such a way that people would know that it wasn't them that was setting themselves right with God. All of those things were in place to be able to bring them to a point to know that they depended on God to do a transformation in their life. We talked about the scapegoat a couple of weeks ago. There's nothing to putting your hands on a goat and then sending off into the wilderness that would suggest that you are now clean of your sins. That, that was just a symbolic act that had no actual reality that was being done there. It was a matter of faith that God would indeed, just as this goat is now being carried off and led off into the wilderness, so God would take your sins and remove them from you as far as the east is from the west. There is nothing new about this message that Jesus is sharing with Nicodemus today. And he says, how, how have you missed this? And you being in a responsibility for teaching others? He says, listen to what I have to say. The statement that he makes about... Uh, No one has ascended into heaven except, verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Saying, listen to my testimony. I have been in heaven. I have existed in heaven for all of eternity. And I am now come down to you to be able to tell you the truth 
All of the things that this Old Testament, your Bible, had been telling you, the prophets and the law, Moses and all the rest, all of it was pointing to me. All of it was pointing to the fact that you need God in order to be made new in your heart. And then he gives an example. Just as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For us on this side of the cross, hear that statement and it makes so much sense because we recognize that it is only because Christ was lifted up on the cross that He died and paid the penalty for our sins that our invitation into the kingdom of heaven is a reality. Nicodemus didn't have that, and yet at the same time, by pointing to this event within the life of the Jewish people, he is saying, just in the same way that, that the people of Israel were, were saved from the snake bites, and, and let me just quickly run through the story a little bit. The people of, of, of Israel had been set free from Egypt. They've walked through the Red Sea that, Jesus, that God had parted for them. Uh, they are now wandering in the wilderness, and, and, and as they continue to grumble and complain against God for all of the hardship that they are going through, God disciplines them over and over and over again. And one of the ways that God sent discipline into their lives was suddenly they were overrun with snakes that came into the camp. The people had been railing against God for so long and, 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 and God was ready to, to wipe them out. And these snakes came into the, into the camp and started biting people. They were poisonous and people were dying all over the place. And as these, as the Israelites were faced with this peril, with this impending doom that the whole camp was going to be wiped out, they cried out to God, save us. So God instructed Moses to, to fashion a, a bronze snake and put it on the end of a pole and stand it up in the camp and give the people instructions that if they get bit by a snake, all they have to do is look place their eyes on the bronze snake on the stake and they will be healed. It was an act of faith. The bronze snake, there was no magical power, there was no healing uh, 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 herbs or anything like that. There's no physical reason why looking at something would, would remove poison from, from your legs. But what it was, it was an opportunity for the people of Israel to realize that their salvation was through God, through their faith in God. Listening to what he said, looking towards the, the, the symbols and the, 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 uh, the examples and the models that he had given them, and in faith, trust that God would rescue them. I would imagine there would have been some people who when they first heard that said, you're nuts. I'm not going to look at a stupid snake. That has no value in my life. And everybody else was getting healed and these guys were stumbling. I'm not looking. I'm not looking. 
let me find a doctor. I got to cut open my legs, suck out the poison, all these other things that we know you can do to try and stop the poison spreading around, right? They would refuse to do that because that's just silly. There's no value in looking at anything. The value was saying, God, I put my trust in you. And that's the exact same thing that Jesus is saying to Nicodemus right now. All of the symbols that God had given over the years were just a means for us as humanity to put our faith in God and look to Him for our salvation. And I think Jesus saw in Nicodemus' eyes he was starting to get it. Because then his message takes a very different tack. For God so loved you. That's why God gave you the bronze snake. That's why I, as the Son of God, have come and uh, performed all of these signs before you. Because God loves you. He has created humanity to be in relationship with Him. And our rebellion and our rejection of Him breaks His heart but He is not giving up on us. And if we will just believe, if we will just look to Him and put our faith in His ability to transform our hearts, you will not perish, but you will have everlasting life That next verse is beautiful. The Son has not come to condemn. You you can see how, how, how that would be an impression. You know, I, I think of the uh, of the uh, a parable of the the wicked tenants that that uh, we read about in in the Synoptic Gospels about how the master went away and left some some tenants to look after the vineyard uh and and then when he sent his uh, uh servants to come and and uh, reap the harvest for him uh, they kept on beating up the servants they would kill some of the servants and finally the master sent his son um totally lost where I was going with that, but, but it was a really good point, I'm sure. It, not to condemn, thank you. You can understand how the, the tenants would have seen the sun coming and go, he's coming to take this away from us. 
He's coming to, to condemn us for all the things that we've done wrong, all of the other servants that we've killed. And so that was part of the motivation of let's get rid of him. Let's save ourselves. And, 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 and for Jesus to be coming to earth, there would just be the sense of, oh Lord, the condemnation. What have we done? And here you are. And Jesus, I didn't come to condemn. I came to save. Jesus has come to save you because of God's great love for you. It's a transformation that is not going to happen because of any physical ability that you have because of any birthright or heritage that you have grown up in. Not because of any rituals or activities or symbols that you have been a part of on a regular basis. Not because of good things that you would do, the way that you try to be generous and loving to other people in the world. Your salvation, your entrance into the kingdom of heaven by putting your tr faith and trust in God's transforming work in your heart. This, the story ends. Maybe it's better to say the story trails off because there is no conclusion. How did Nicodemus respond? How, how did the conversation end? We do get a bit of a hint though. At the end of the book, when Jesus' body is being taken down and, and, and placed within Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, there's Nicodemus <laughs> bringing an exorbitant amount of burial spices. Uh, 75 pounds of embalming spice and, and, and fluids whatever that all entailed. We get a hint that this encounter with Jesus was the beginning of Nicodemus' own birth from above. How does the story end for you? Has the, the wind blown through your life? The breath of God transformed who you are? If you, have you responded in faith to look upon the sun that has been lifted up? To put your faith and trust in Him alone for the rebirth, the transformation that needs to happen in your life?
That is the only, only way that you can live out the eternal life that is promised to all those that are part of God's kingdom. Let's pray. Thank You for Your love, Father. A love that reaches out to me in my rebellion, in my sin and rejection of You. That You reach out to me and You blow with Your Spirit into my heart. That You pour the waters of life into my being. And You have brought transformation to me. I can proclaim with Paul, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank You. Lord, I know sometimes it is easy just as Nicodemus was fooled, was fooled by traditions, fooled by the teachings of others, fooled by his own heart to think that he was indeed a part of your kingdom when really he wasn't. It's just as easy for us to fool ourselves with all kinds of explanations and and reasons why we should have been invited into the kingdom of heaven. Lord, I pray that that just as You systematically dismantled all that, that was holding Nicodemus up and revealed to him truth, would You in our hearts and lives here today through Your Spirit pull apart our house of cards that we've built up around ourselves and bring us to that place where we trust in You alone. Thank You, in Jesus' name. Amen.